Saturday, June the 19th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, the Delta variant's rise and an AstraZeneca EU ruling. First, the week in brief. The Delta variant is on its way to becoming the globally dominant strain of the coronavirus causing COVID-19, the World Health Organization's chief scientist said. The highly infectious mutation, which first emerged in India, has been behind a rise in cases in places from Britain, which recently postponed lockdown loosenings, to Moscow, which just imposed new restrictions. It is also spreading in America. The Dow Jones share index suffered its worst week since October 2020 as investors reacted to the Federal Reserve's change of tack on monetary policy. The blue chip index closed 3.45% down on Monday's level. The broader S&P 500 index fell by 1.9% over the same period. The Fed signalled on Wednesday that it could raise interest rates in 2023 sooner than it had previously planned. The United Nations adopted a resolution condemning the military coup in Myanmar and calling for a ban on selling arms to the junta. The General Assembly also demanded the release of political prisoners such as Aung San Suu Kyi, the country's elected leader. The resolution, while significant, is not binding. China and Russia, both big suppliers of Myanmar's arms, abstained. A Belgian court ordered AstraZeneca to deliver 80.2 million COVID-19 vaccine doses to the European Union by September 27th, a ruling both sides claimed as a victory. The Anglo-Swedish drug firm originally committed to supply 300 million doses by July, but lowered that to 100 million after production hold-ups angering the EU. The company expects to deliver over 80 million doses by the end of June. Eight of the ten banks barred from selling EU bonds this week will be allowed to participate in future rounds. The bloc plans to issue up to €800 billion in debt over the next five years to fund member states' COVID-19 recovery. The ten banks were excluded for previous breaches of antitrust rules. With barely a month left before the Olympic Games in Tokyo, Japanese medical experts published a report saying that not allowing spectators would be the, quote, least risky option. Foreign visitors are barred, but the government remains keen that Japanese fans attend. The International Olympic Committee and the governments of Japan and Tokyo will meet to decide the matter on Monday. Aliu Kusaya, a Liberian former rebel commander nicknamed Bluff Boy, was found guilty of war crimes by a Swiss court. The conviction was a first twice over, both the first war crimes charges heard by a Swiss civilian court and the first war crimes conviction relating to Liberia's two civil wars, though Charles Taylor, Liberia's former president, was convicted of crimes committed in neighbouring Sierra Leone. And word of the week... Jackpot, verb, to use malware to manipulate ATMs into spitting out lots of cash. In 2018, criminals got away with $13.5 million from India's Cosmos Bank through 15,000 cash machine withdrawals in just two hours. And now, here's today's agenda. Juneteenth, America's Racial Reckoning. 
After most of the civil war's fighting was over, and more than two years after a presidential decree had formally liberated them, slaves living in Galveston, Texas were still not free. It was not until Union soldiers occupied the port town on this day in 1865 that their emancipation was finally proclaimed in front of slaves and owners there. Commemorations beginning in Texas spread until Juneteenth, from June and 19th, became an unofficial national commemoration of the day black Americans' bondage ended. On Thursday, President Joe Biden signed legislation making Juneteenth a federal holiday, declaring it one of the greatest honors he will have as president. His recognition comes amid a fierce debate over how to reckon with racial injustice. The murder of George Floyd last year sparked the biggest civil rights protests in American history. In response, Republican state legislatures have been passing laws restricting how teachers in public institutions can discuss race. Fourteen Republicans voted against the Juneteenth holiday. Legally Kidnapped – Involuntary Commitment in 19th Century America Elizabeth Packard lived a fairly unremarkable existence for most of her life. Born in 1816, she became a pastor's wife in Illinois. But her unusually outspoken and liberal views on politics and religion eventually became too much for her husband. In 1860, he decided to confine her to a mental institution where she would languish for three years. A book to be released next Tuesday, The Woman They Could Not Silence by Kate Moore, details Packard's experience in the asylum and eventual release. Put on trial to prove her sanity, she convinced the jury in only seven minutes. She went on to fight for women's causes and those wrongfully accused of insanity, impressing the First Lady into arranging a meeting with President Ulysses Grant. She championed a law requiring a jury trial before involuntary commitment that passed the Illinois legislature in 1869. Her lifelong efforts ensured that it would become much harder to do to others what had been done to her. TARD DOCTORING BASEBALLS On Monday, Major League Baseball begins a crackdown in its biggest cheating ruckus since the steroid scandals of the early 2000s. This one involves pitchers applying an unknown sticky substance to baseballs to increase spin, making them harder to hit. It has sent batting averages to a near-record low. Now, umpires will inspect pitchers' gloves, hats and hands during games if they suspect cheating. Ten-game suspensions await rule-breakers. Pitchers have long risked expulsion from a game by using banned substances such as sunscreen and pine tar, but recent innovations like spider tack, an adhesive for weightlifters, have a much greater effect, hence the crackdown. Pitchers are crying foul over the abrupt enforcement, saying it will lead to injury and that the league has failed to develop a ball that is easier to grip. Last week, Tyler Glasnow of the Tampa Bay Rays quit, quote, foreign substances cold turkey and tore a ligament from squeezing the ball harder. I have to change everything, he says. Classical Medicine – Mozart versus Epilepsy More than 50 million people suffer from epilepsy. Although it is usually manageable, many need lifelong treatment. The newest therapy, identified in the European Journal of Neurology, is 240 years old. 
listening to Mozart's piano sonata K448, was shown in 1993 to temporarily improve spatial-temporal skills, leading to a now-ridiculed craze for playing Mozart to babies. Subsequent studies have had mixed results replicating the original. Now it shows promise in treating epilepsy. When it was played for 18 epileptic people, electrodes in their brains recorded a 32% decrease in epileptiform discharges, spikes in brain electricity that characterize epilepsy. For comparison, participants also heard a composition of a similar style and period, Haydn's Surprise Symphony. This caused a 45% increase in electrical discharges overall, despite reducing them in women. The authors suggest that different musical features, including decreasing tempos, the presence of certain frequencies and volume dynamics, affect the sexes differently. But they are hopeful that their work presages new and enjoyable therapies. Saturday Profile, Kitanji Brown-Jackson America's next Supreme Court justice looks unusually foreordained. President Joe Biden has named no names, but he has pledged to put the first black woman on the court. Kitanji Brown-Jackson is widely thought to be his top pick. A district court judge in the District of Columbia since 2013, she was on June 14th confirmed by the Senate to the Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. That is a frequent stepping stone to the top. Three of nine current Supreme Court justices served there. Ms. Jackson, 50, earned two degrees from Harvard before entering private practice. She then served as a public defender, representing poor defendants before the appeals court on which she will now sit. In 2010, she became vice chair of the Sentencing Commission, where she revised harsh penalties for crack cocaine offences, which disproportionately affect black Americans. This was not an abstract injustice. As a teen, her uncle was imprisoned for life for a minor drug crime. He was granted clemency 30 years later. Two years ago, her rejection of Don McGahn's claim that, as chief counsel to then-President Donald Trump, he could be directed not to testify before Congress, raised her profile. Presidents are not kings, she wrote, and do not have subjects bound by loyalty or blood whose destiny they are entitled to control. In line with Ms. Jackson's ruling, Mr. McGahn testified before the House Judiciary Committee earlier this month as to whether Mr. Trump may have obstructed Robert Mueller's Russia probe. Will there be a vacancy on the court? The retirement of Stephen Breyer, an 82-year-old progressive justice, may be hastened by Mitch McConnell. The Senate minority leader has threatened to block any Biden nominee should Democrats lose their majority. Ms. Jackson clerked for Mr. Breyer and could replace him, just as Brett Kavanaugh, who clerked for Anthony Kennedy, replaced his old boss in 2018. But confirmation could be tricky. Eight years ago, the Senate confirmed her to the district court unanimously, but times have changed. Just three Republicans approved her recent promotion, but even so slim a margin would be enough should she be nominated. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Thomas Watson, who died on this day in 1956. If you want to succeed, double your failure rate. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. 
You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.